Hey men, my name is Mace and I serve as the men's discipleship coordinator here at FaithBridge. FaithBridge men exists to create a movement among the men in our church and our community where men can experience the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, develop authentic community with other men, and live a life of eternal significance. Our theme for the entire spring season is fight the good fight. Life is tough. It's a battle. Temptation and trial are around every corner. But on our deathbed, we want to be able to look our loved ones in the eye and say, just like the Apostle Paul did, I have fought the good fight. We want to be men who fight the good fight, men who believe the true gospel and are being transformed by the gospel. This episode comes from session one of our men's study on the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. In this section of the letter, the Apostle Paul shows how to distinguish between the true gospel and the false gospels that bombard us every day. And he shows us how our lives can be transformed by this gospel. Ultimately, by, by God's grace, he, he did beat it, but the, the toll that the, the cancer and the chemo and lying on a bed basically 24-7 took on a, his body was significant. He, he was not a small man uh, to begin with, but he, he, he had, had shriveled up physically, and I, I got to visit him when he was staying in a nursing uh, home and and just get to check in on him and and catch up with him and frankly it was really hard to to see him in that condition and and struggling to to put together words but here's the thing even as Glenn's body had been wasting away his spirit was fully alive and and as I, I sat there next to his bed talking with him, catching up with him, he, he went on and on about the goodness and the grace of God. Glenn, um, after beating brain cancer, came down with pneumonia only about a month or two ago. And again, he fought. But unfortunately, this time, he lost that, that battle and, and uh, passed away just over a week ago or so today. But here's the thing, make no mistake, Glenn fought the good fight all the way to the end. And that's what we all want, right? We want to, just like my friend Glenn, to be able to, to sit there on our deathbed, taking our final breaths, but able to look our loved ones in the eye and say, I fought the good fight. So that's what we're here to do over these next six weeks as we, we journey through this letter in the New Testament that we call 1 Timothy. And we're, we're going to discover and learn how to live out over these next six weeks is that if we wanna be men who fight the good fight, there's two things we need to allow ourselves to do. We need to believe the true gospel and we need to be transformed by the gospel. That's why, why Glenn, even as his body was wasting away, was able to have joy and peace because Glenn believed the true gospel and he was a man who had been transformed by the gospel. So if you wanna turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, it's a, a short little letter near the, the end of the New Testament. 
And like I said, it is a short letter, so there is absolutely no shame if you have to look it up in the table of contents. I'll give you a couple moments to get there. So 1 Timothy is what we call an epistle. And an epistle is essentially a fancy word for a letter. And to get more specific, 1 Timothy is one of what we call the Pauline epistles. It's one of the 13 letters in our New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And if we want to get more specific than that, 1 Timothy, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, those three together are often referred to as the pastoral epistles. And the reason why, as we'll see as we journey through 1 Timothy, is that those three letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, deal a lot with leadership in the church and and the way the church should be organized and run and what it it means to be a qualified leader in God's church. So it's, it's one of the three pastoral epistles and it was probably written somewhere in the early to mid 60s AD. So it was written sometime after the conclusion of the book of Acts, but before Paul's death under the reign of Nero. So somewhere in that early to mid 60s AD. So within a a generation of of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul, as we'll see in just a moment, is writing this letter to Timothy. And so one of the other distinct things about this letter is that the majority of Paul's letters, the majority of the letters in the New Testament as a whole were written to churches. They were written to groups. So this is one of the few letters primarily written to an individual, in this case, Timothy. But again, as we will see, even though it's written primarily to Timothy, the the church, the entire church that Timothy was leading is also in view the entire time. Um, But with that background information in mind, really the, the best way to understand the context of of a New Testament letter or really any book in the New Testament is just to dig in and and see what evidence we find in the letter itself. And so let's start tonight our journey through 1 Timothy by reading 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do these first couple verses tell us? Well, it corroborates a a lot of what I've already been saying, right? So who is the author of this letter? Who's writing this letter of 1 Timothy? It's it's Paul. and what do we know uh, about the Apostle Paul? Well, you can in, look up his, his testimony in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 7 through 9. And what, what we find there is that Paul, uh, also called Saul, uh, was a Pharisee. A Pharisee of Pharisees, he will call himself. He was, he was a man devoted to the Jewish religion, or at least the Jewish religion as, as he understood it. And so he saw Christians as heretics. He hated them. He wanted to get rid of them. And so in Acts chapter seven, the first martyr of the church, Stephen, is stoned to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. And it says Saul is standing there looking on in agreement with what is going on. And then you you fast forward in in the book of Acts and we see Paul as the persecution uh, that resulted after Stephen's martyrdom sent the Christians scattering throughout the, the Roman Empire 
Paul says, oh no, you're not getting away that easy. And so he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem and he asks for permissions to go grab the, the men, women, and, and children who follow Christ who had left Jerusalem and drag them back so they, they can face the same fate as Stephen. But as he's, he's going on his, his way to Damascus to, to persecute and ultimately have these Christians killed, he has a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ and it, and it changes his life. And so we continue to find out uh, how uh, Paul describes himself. He says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle was an authoritative messenger of Christ, someone who had been given authority to take this good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and take it into all the world. And one of the... the um, qualifications of an apostle, something that had to be true in order for someone to have been an apostle, included that they had to have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. They had to be a personal eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ of which Paul was. And, and, and Paul, as I already mentioned, wrote 13 letters that are, are found in our New Testament and the other apostles and close associates of the apostles are responsible for the other 14 uh, documents that we find in our New Testament. Um, but one thing that I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but I think it needs to be addressed as, as we're diving into 1 Timothy. So if you go home tonight and you're doing your readings that we'll talk about in a little bit, and, and you just Google 1 Timothy or, heaven forbid, go on Wikipedia and look up 1 Timothy, one of the things that you're going to find is that the majority scholar view is that Paul didn't actually write 1 Timothy. So I just wanna take a, a few brief moments to encourage you that I, I think that we can stand confident that Paul indeed did write 1 Timothy. So just a, a couple quick um, data points that lead me to that belief and that I, I hope strengthen your, your faith that we can trust these documents that we have in our New Testament. Uh, the first one, not to be quickly dismissed, is that the letter itself says that Paul wrote 1 Timothy. And so what that tells us is that the burden, burden of proof is not on us. The burden of proof is on those who would deny that Paul wrote this letter. And the fact is that for the first 1,800 years of church history, no one doubted that. And it was only as um, post-enlightenment culture and, and, and these scholars came to the Bible with these presuppositions that things like men rising from the dead just don't happen. Um, and so certainly this sort of testimony that we see in, in places like 1 Timothy, uh, that's way too primitive to have been written in the lifetime of the apostle Paul. Furthermore, we have testimony from the early church. There, there is no early church father that denies that Paul was the author of 1 Timothy. In fact, uh, Irenaeus, a, a second century church father, explicitly names Paul as the author of 1 Timothy. And then an even earlier document from Irenaeus, one of our, our earliest Christian documents that's, that's not a part of our New Testament canon is a letter called 1 Clement written in about 96 AD. And, and it is clear that first Clement, or that Clement is familiar with the pastoral epistles such as First Timothy as he's writing his letter. And so uh, I do believe that we can stand firm and confident that Paul indeed did write this letter. So 
Who's he writing to? Well, again, the letter tells us that he is writing to Timothy. Um, and just a, a quick aside here, note that the, the letter is written to Timothy. This letter is not written to you and it's not written to me, but it is written for us. So one of the biggest traps that we can fall into when it, when it comes to reading and studying and interpreting and applying scripture is uh, to mistakenly think that these documents were written to us. They were not written to us, but they were written for us. So uh, thinking that the letter of 1 Timothy was written to me would be like me finding a, a love letter by my grandmother written to my grandfather when they first met. Does that letter have meaning and significance to me? Absolutely. But was that letter written to me? No. So in the same way, 1 Timothy is gonna have a lot of meaning and significance for us, but we need to keep it in context that this letter was written to Timothy. So who's Timothy? Well, what, what we know is that Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16, so you can go read about that, and that probably when Paul is writing this letter, Timothy's about in his uh, early to mid-30s, which is a, a pretty good age, but I'm biased. And so, again, we want to see what Paul has to say. And so he calls Timothy my true child in the faith. And so here, here's the thing about these salutations. Oftentimes we read these early verses in these letters and we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Can we, can we just skip that and get to the good stuff? But here's the thing. Paul and the other New Testament writers are cluing us into what are gonna be the main themes throughout this letter. And so one of them is right here. He says, my true child in the faith. In other words, he's saying that Timothy is a believer in the true gospel. Because what we're gonna see is that the problem being addressed in 1 Timothy is that there are a lot of people in Ephesus where Timothy's at who, who are not only not believing the true gospel, but they are actively proclaiming a false gospel. And it's this issue that Paul has to deal with. And so he's reminding Timothy, you are my true child. You have the true gospel. Stand firm in your faith. And one last point on the salutation. So to Timothy, he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, you might be tempted to read and like, yeah, yeah, I know. This is, this is how Paul starts all of his letters. Grace and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not quite what he says. Notice that he, he adds a word to his typical greeting. He says, grace, mercy, and peace. And so mercy, as with a lot of the language that the apostles use, is rich with meaning, primarily drawn from the Old Testament. So mercy is, has its roots in the, the Hebrew word chesed, which gets very, variously translated in our Bibles as steadfast love or loving kindness or loyal love or sometimes just mercy. And, and what that word means, what mercy means is, is God's faithfulness and his affection towards his people. And so that's why you see these translators trying to struggle with how to bring the meaning of this word out of this faithfulness and this affection. So we get things like steadfast love or loyal love. And so Paul is hinting that a major theme of this letter is gonna be God's mercy, his compassion, his, his swooping in to help people in needs, such as sinners in need of a savior. 
Now let's get into the meat of the letter. Let's read 1 Timothy 3 through 7. As I, Paul, urged you, Timothy, upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. And so we see that the, the problem that compels Paul to write this letter is that false teachers are coming into the church and they're, they're threatening to draw Christians away from the true gospel. And who are, are these false teachers? Paul calls them essentially wannabes, that they, they wanna be teachers of the law, but they have no idea what they're talking about. Essentially what these uh, false teachers are is, is that they're legalistic Jews. If, if you want a kind of category to put it in, it's, it's similar to what we see Jesus dealing with with the Pharisees in the Gospels, that the, these people are making uh, the faith not about grace, not about faith, but about obedience to the law in order to earn God's favor. And, and, and Paul says, as we'll see, that they have no idea what they're talking about. One other quick note about these false teachers. Um, again, if you read a lot of commentaries out there or just Google First Timothy, what they're gonna say most often is that the false teachers that Paul is addressing are um, promoters of a second century heresy known as Gnosticism. And essentially what Gnosticism teaches is that the physical is bad, the spiritual is good. So salvation, according to the Gnostics, was to be released from this physical world into the spiritual world. How do you do that? Well, you have to attain the secret knowledge. And the word for knowledge in Greek is gnosis, from where we get Gnostics from. And so all those scholars that I told you about a moment ago that deny that Paul wrote this letter, a lot of their argument is based on the presupposition that he is addressing Gnosticism which didn't come along until the second century. And frankly, I think um, they're just not reading the text. That it, Paul calls these, these people wannabe teachers of the law, the Torah, what we call the Old Testament. And so they're, they're, they're misunderstanding the law. They're teaching this false gospel. And just like we read in the gospels, that you will know them by their fruits. Paul says, they're not just failing to talk the talk, they're failing to walk the walk. That the, these men uh, are not living godly lives, that you know that they have messed up beliefs by their messed up behavior. And Paul says, the goal of our instruction, the, the goal of the apostles who are preaching the true gospel, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He says, the goal of right believing is right behaving. And so Paul is not, as some people would also sometimes charge him saying that your behavior doesn't matter. He's saying, no, you just have to get it in the right order. 
that we believe the true gospel and then we are transformed by the gospel. That the, the heart that has been forgiven of sin also wants to be free from sin. And so it flees sin. So these, these wannabe teachers of the law are making obedience a means of salvation though, instead of the results. If they even want grace at all, at best, they're saying it's, yeah, it's grace plus. Grace plus obedience to the law. Grace plus all these things. And the gospel of grace plus is no gospel at all. Let's continue on. First Timothy uh, chapter one, verse eight. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so he's saying these wannabe teachers of the law they don't know what they're talking about because they're, they're totally misusing the law, that the, the law wasn't given to make men good, but to show us how bad we are. That the, the law isn't a cure, it's a diagnostic. So when my daughter Haven was 10 years old, she got really sick with what we eventually found out was bacterial meningitis. And so they had to transfer her down to the, the medical center so that, that she could have EEG leads hooked up to, to her head to monitor for seizure activity. So that EEG, while a, a critical part of her medical process and her healing process, that EEG wasn't a cure. It was merely a diagnostic tool so that the doctors could appropriately understand what was going on in her brain and then respond accordingly. So that EEG functions like the law, that the law was given to point out the problem so that the we can be pointed to a solution and understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is the true gospel. That is this glorious gospel which Paul had been entrusted. At best, the law merely restrained evil. Much like the, the speed limit on Stubner Airline keeps me driving 45. Okay, 50. That the, at best, the law restrains evil, but it is powerless to save. All it can do is point out the problem so that then we can be pointed to the solution. Now, uh, maybe I'm wrong on this, but my guess is probably no one is tempting you to obey the law, the, the Jewish law. You're probably not waking up, man, I just wanna eat kosher today, or I gotta go slay a lamb at the temple, right? But, Make no mistake, we have false gospels all around us that we are bombarded with. Stephen Matson, in an article written for the, the Center for Faith and Culture, identifies three false gospels that are prevalent in the church today. 
The first false gospel prevalent in the church today is the prosperity gospel. This gospel essentially says that that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And if you are not, that means you just don't have enough faith. So you need to ask and believe it's yours and it will be yours. Uh, One of the, the tragic things is that one of the most popular proponents of this false gospel, the prosperity gospel, has a rather large church here in our city. And and this gospel promises, this false gospel of the prosperity gospel promises your best life now, whereas the true gospel promises your best life later when we are resurrected to eternal life on a new earth. The, The false gospel of the prosperity gospel makes the gospel all about God's gifts when the true gospel is all about God, the giver. So we have the prosperity gospel and this, another gospel, another false gospel prevalent in the church today is the self-help gospel. This, this, this gospel uh, basically says that if you just work hard enough and you avoid carbs and wake up at three o'clock in the morning, eventually you can be something. You can make yourself something. And, and now, now don't get me wrong, um, there's some value to some of those things. And I'm, I'm actually a, a bit of a, a personal development junkie myself. But the problem is when we start looking to those things for meaning and significance and purpose and salvation, the self-help gospel is about what you need to do. Whereas the true gospel is about what Christ has done and will do when he comes again. The the false gospel of the self-help gospel says that you can be saved when you become your best. But the true gospel says that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, even when we were at our worst. So we have the prosperity gospel and the the self-help gospel. And the third false gospel prevalent in the American church today is the political gospel. And the the political gospel says that uh, a certain politician or a certain political party is our hope. But the true gospel says that our King, King Jesus is our only hope in life and death. Now, don't mishear me. Government is a, a good gift from God. And, and that's, that's not just me saying that, that's in the Bible. And gov- government was given to humanity by God uh, in Genesis chapter nine. And, and the purpose of, of, of human government is to, to restrain evil and, and promote righteousness. But the problem with human government is that they are all run by humans. We're all run by foolish, wicked, sinful humans like me. And so I'm thankful for the common grace of government and I'm thankful to live in a country where we can uh, be a part of the political process. And I believe Christians should be a part of that. But again, the problem is not political involvement or or caring about politics. The the problem is when we make a politician or a political party or even a a political system our, our savior when our only savior is Christ. 
And so don't, don't fall for the, the false gospels. Believe the true gospel. And Paul is passionate about this because he had a personal experience of, with this gospel. Let's keep reading in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant, more than abundant with the, the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So we already talked a little bit about this, that you can read more about Paul's testimony in Acts 7 through 9. But a couple things to highlight here. Notice that even though he was formerly a blasphemer, he says, I was shown mercy. Remember how we saw that theme right from the opening verses of, of the letter. And, and God's mercy not only transformed this blasphemer into a believer, but into an apostle, someone who was entrusted with this gospel message to, to take it into all the world. And Paul says, the reason why God did this was so that we can sit here today and know that if God can save Paul, he can save anyone. And he says that this gospel, the, this truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, it's trustworthy and it should be fully accepted. And he's contrasting this, this true gospel with the false gospel of the false teachers that should be rejected. One other thing I wanna highlight real quick about uh, this part of 1 Timothy is the power of story that if we wanna be men who, who fight the good fight, if we wanna be men who believe the true gospel and are being transformed by the gospel, one of the best things you can do is, is hear stories of men who are fighting the good fight. And so that's why as part of this fight the good fight season, and in addition to our Tuesday nights here together, one of the things that we're gonna be doing is on our Faith Bridge podcast throughout the spring, we're gonna be highlighting stories of the men of Faith Bridge who are, are fighting the good fight, men who have believed the gospel and men who are being transformed by the gospel. Not, they're not super men, they're not perfect men, they're not super Christians, but they're men who have had a genuine encounter with Christ. And I, my hope and my prayer is that as we listen to these stories throughout the semester, it will encourage us and it will inspire us and it will challenge us to keep fighting the good fight. So if you have not yet subscribed to my, our Faith Bridge Men podcast, let me encourage you to do that now. I think we have a QR code on the screen so you can take out uh, your phone and take a picture of that whenever that comes up um, and subscribe to that so that you can continue to be encouraged throughout the semester. And finally, let's, let's briefly look at the last few verses in chapter one, starting in verse 18. 
This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. And so Paul ties everything that he has been talking about in this letter so far about believing the true gospel and being transformed the gospel into these four words. He tells Timothy, fight the good fight. Believe the true gospel and be transformed by the gospel. And so that's my encouragement to you tonight. Let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's, Let's keep day by day preaching the gospel to ourselves, believing the true gospel. And as that truth of the gospel that Christ Jesus came down into the world to save sinners like you and me, that as we understand that truth in deeper ways, that we would be transformed from the inside out. That we would be men like Paul who can get to the end of their life and say, I fought the good fight. That we can be men like my friend Glenn that even when from a worldly perspective, everything is falling apart and wasting away, our spirit is alive like never before because we have believed the true gospel and we've been transformed by the gospel. And here's some more good news. You don't have to do it alone. That's why you're, you're sitting around a table with other men who again are not supermen, they're not super Christians, they're not perfect men, They're regular Joes like you and me that have challenges and sin in their life. But they're here tonight because like you, they want to be a man who fights the good fight. And so we're gonna take the next several minutes of our time tonight just processing what you heard tonight. What were your your major takeaways? Did you have any aha moments? Do you have any questions about the, the teaching and the text tonight that you're wrestling through? It's really important that we don't go through this journey together, that we lock arms with one another and that we stand in one another's corner as we fight the good fight. So let me pray for us and then I'll dismiss you to your discussion groups. Father, we thank you for the gospel that even when we were at our worst, Lord, you came for us, that Christ died for the ungodly, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Help us understand that, that, that truth and the beauty of that truth in, in ways that we never have before, Lord. And as we do, that we would be transformed and that we would be inspired and encouraged to fight the good fight. And give us humility and openness and safety even now as, as we head into our discussion groups to, to process what it is that we feel that you are, are, are trying to teach us tonight and how our lives can be transformed by this gospel truth. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.